do believe that there's alchemy in all things. Yeah. I was also thinking about how food is a fuel for us. And so it, it kind of makes you start to think about like, what am I fueling? What am I getting up for and eating for? Like, what is the life that I'm fueling? Mm. And where is my purpose and my value? How do we make the ordinary extraordinary, you know, every day? Hello, and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from the Mission Enhancement Team, and we hope that this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith wherever you are right now. Here comes another Soul Food Story. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Soul Food Podcast. This week, we're featuring Elizabeth McFarlane, and she is someone who sees alchemy in all things. Her experience, both professionally and in volunteer circles, is embedded in grassroots communities. She has a passion for empowering people in the community and for advocating for others, especially those who feel their voice is left to the margins. She loves music and her two dogs, Caesar and Cleopatra, and more recently, her humble beachside estate in Coogee, which she now calls home. Welcome, Elizabeth, to the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for introducing Caesar and Cleopatra, who are arguably the more exciting part of today's uh, discussion. That's um, it. They're seated right next to me, so I, I apologize in advance if they suddenly buck during this yeah, podcast. No need to apologize. They're part of our, our show now. <laughs> We've got three guests today. That's it. Now, as you know, the Soul Food Podcast is one that focuses on life and faith, but also about food and all the themes and the, the metaphors that come around food. So one of our icebreakers that we ask each of the guests in this space is what's a food story that describes a little bit about who you are, Elizabeth? So I was having a good think about this. And the one that I can recall is sitting down at a cafe with my mentor at the time. So I was a youth worker. And I was sitting with him and we were discussing, you know, ways of engaging young people in, um, you know, our churches, in our parishes, in our schools. Mm. And something that he said that really struck me while we were having a coffee was that the smallest action can turn into a movement. Mm. And what he meant by that, and I guess where the discussion led, was giving someone the role or the responsibility to bring a dish to a meeting can actually elevate their engagement in the overall program. Yeah, okay. So what it actually meant was they're starting to think about, okay, I actually am adding value to this meeting, mm. to this group. They've asked me to take on a responsibility. So mm -hmm. now there's a commitment there as well. I have to actually um, rock up to this meeting because they've asked me to bring, I don't know, whether it be, you know, the cookies or the, yeah. the, the coffee or the tea or the whatever it is, they've been given a task and that small action is going to lead to um, a movement ultimately mm. because it leads to a sense of initiative, a sense of purpose, a sense of value, but also a sense of belonging that you now have that small task of bringing a meal for others. And you're also giving. Um, so mm. whether or not you're just bringing something from the grocery or you're cooking something, mm -hmm. it can really elevate people's engagement in these programs. So that was the first kind of food story I thought about mm. and it really resonated with me and the movement that I was a part of, which is the Young Christian Students, Young Christian Workers Movement. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, so it was all about how the tiniest little things can lead to bigger things. So yeah. um, I think, uh, yeah, from little things, big things grow. Yeah, I love right? that. I love that. I'm literally doing that uh, industry super sign right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, this podcast is not endorsed by industry super. <laughs> But I do have to say, as you were describing that, um, I've come across this term or this phrase, meraki, uh, where you create something, but as you create it, you leave a bit of yourself in it. And so something of that food process that you're describing is one, a really powerful and a beaut, you know, expression of someone bringing something to the table, uh, literally, physically, and also of themselves. 
And also, it's just something that is, is symbolic of the Soul Food Podcast as well. That we hope that, you know, the story you shared today uh, can be a bit of the food that you offer others as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I guess I was also thinking about how food is a fuel for us, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of makes you start to think about like, what am I fueling? What am I yeah, getting cool. up for and eating for? Like, what is the life that I'm fueling? Mm. And where is my purpose and my value? So um, I like that you also kind of introduced me as, um, you know, someone who believes that there's alchemy in all things. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing that up because... I do believe that. Like, I think there is a magic um, in all things. And there they go, this, the dogs. Sorry That's okay. That. Yeah, totally fun. All part of it. Um, so I grew up and um, in uh, Prairiewood in Fairfield mm. uh, area, and I went to school in Maryland. So my high school um, in Maryland was Certain College, mm. and the school motto is in all things Christ or in omnibus Christus. And from that understanding is in all things there is a magic, there is mm. a gold. Um, and the whole expression of, I guess, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, alchemy in all things mm. is referring to this expression of, um, I guess it's like a, a medieval um, process of turning something into gold. Mm-hmm. And it's before chemistry and our understanding of that, mm. but I think it's still very, very, very much relevant today. And it was when I was reading The Alchemist that I kind of, it took me on this journey of thinking about how do we make the ordinary extraordinary? Yeah, yeah. You know, every day. And food, in a way, is fueling us to think about, like, how are we taking the small action of eating something mm. and making it far more valuable than mm-hmm. just, like, a task that we have to do? Obviously, there are routine things that we have to do mm. to live, breathe, mm-hmm. eat, drink, mm-hmm. socialize maybe a little bit. That'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think at the end, of the end of the day, it's our responsibility as well to think about how do we make this ordinary action extraordinary mm-hmm. and how do we bring value to that? Wow, that, that is something to ponder, hey. I mean, that's, that's making all sorts of links for me, the work that I'm doing in adult formation as well. One of the things that we try and encourage in our programs is what we, we term as an incarnational spirituality. Uh, this whole thing where if, if God became a human person in the person of Jesus, that says a lot about what humanity can do. And as you've said and put so beautifully, yeah, what are we fueling with that humanity? What is it that we're, we're bringing to the world? So thank you for taking us on that, that bit of a reflection. Now, just quick backtrack there. Um, when you said the alchemist, that's Paolo Coelho's alchemist? Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, okay. Any other standout moments from that book for you? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a journey. So what I find from reading a book like that is it's not so much the written word, it's your reflections as you're taken on that Mm. story. So, you know, I was sitting on a cliffside looking out at the waves, Mm. reading this book. It's it's an experience, right? Um, And it's a very easy read. I would say, Mm. you know, of all the books, I think it's been translated in so many different languages. Mm. So people can honestly, it's quite accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I love about it is it just tells the story about this young boy you know, seeking purpose in his life mm-hmm. through different means, through work, um, getting caught up in a, you know, a few different tangents along the way. Um, but ultimately, he, it's like a full circle. He comes back to where he began. Mm. And this idea of creating something extraordinary where you began as well. Yep. So there's just a lot of reflections. I, I honestly wouldn't do it justice by just summarizing yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Um, I just would highly recommend people read it yeah, and, and just take from it what you can take from it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, we, I have a couple of our friends who got married recently and they used the Alchemist as one of their um, mindfulness moments during their wedding ceremony. Wonderful. And I thought it was just a great a great touch on that as well. Now, um, you mentioned young Christian workers, young Christian students, and just knowing a bit of your background, Elizabeth, I know you work in events. 
So how would you say uh, those things um, uh, give you the opportunity to express alchemy in all things? Yeah, because I think it's, um, I guess YCS and YCW embedded in me this idea that, um, and sorry, my dogs are going to be eating in the background as well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of noises. Um, it, uh, so Joseph Cardine was the founder of the YCS and the YCW. Mm. And something he said was that we're all worth more than all the gold in the world. Um, so again, there's this tie to gold um, that keeps coming up. This, mm. um, uh, yeah, I guess this metaphor of that we are gold, that we are worth more than gold, that we are valuable, um, that we have an inherent dignity and worth. And mm. how do we um, express that? And so when I took that to Multicultural New South Wales, which is the government agency I work for now, and I do events for them, as you mentioned, mm. um, you know, a big part of my drive is to think about, well, how do I bring my faith into the workplace and express mm. that daily? Um, and so one of those ways is to obviously think about, you know, bringing people together and what joy that brings, but also people from all different walks of life. Mm. So my role within Multicultural New South Wales is to advise people like the Premier, the Minister for Multiculturalism on what kind of events would be beneficial to bringing harmony and social mm. cohesion within New South Wales. Yep. Um, so we have a, a, our big Premier's Harmony Dinner. There's 1,500 people who attend. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of that, it's just a, a giant celebration of, you know, all the different, I guess, diverse people that make up this state. Mm -hmm. And my faith tells me that, you know, what a wonderful expression of value and that we are all worth more than all the God in the world because we are made in Christ's image, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That we are walking Christ and we are walking with Christ and everyone in that room to me, is a representation of Christ. Mm. You know, regardless of their faith background, regardless of what they look like, they yep. are another face of Christ. And so bringing all those people together, all those different walks of life, mm -hmm. um, what a wonderful asset for New South Wales to be so multicultural, multi-faith, multilingual, um, that we can see all those different perspectives yeah. of Christ yeah. as well. Yeah. So um, I think that really shines through in my work. Um, and then, yeah, just that tie to Joseph Cardine again, um, recognizing so some background and some context there he started this movement during the industrial revolution mm. where a lot of the factory workers um were distracted from their faith um they were caught up in toxic workplaces mm -hmm. they were caught up in routine you know something we were talking about before like the ordinary was ordinary they mm. had lost the extraordinary mm -hmm. in their lives mm -hmm. and they, i think a lot of young people today um not just young people but all people but i I particularly am interested in young people mm -hmm. and working with young people is we can get caught in a daily routine where we're just focused on the ordinary, where we're just kind of getting through each day and not recognizing the beauty. Um, and I think as mm. human beings, we have an, like an innate ability to perceive beauty. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that other animals don't have that, yep. but that, you know, that's something that we should take stock in and, and recognize. So I think there, that ability and our, um, yeah, I guess I'll, um, I guess it, it, it's kind of like, a, I was going to say drive again. Mm. It, it's kind of something that, uh, you know, makes our life meaningful. Yeah. And I think there are a few different things that people are searching for in life. And one of those is a deeper meaning, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there are some things that we struggle with and are scared of, like whether it be a freedom of expression or free will, um, this idea of like, you know, and, and death and mm. um, um, loneliness, isolation. Um, I think some like way to 
override some of those fears is to find beauty yeah. in the everyday. Yeah. As you're talking, Liz, I'm, I'm thinking uh, the questions you're asking or the questions you're, you're pondering there. Um, another word for it might be for some people, they might use this language or not, um, is this word mystery. And I'm just wondering who put you in touch with that, that stretching of yourself, that mystery? Um, was there a person or a particular experience that uh, made this language more accessible for you um, and, and allowed this language to be more at home uh, for you? Yeah. Um... Look, I think from a young age, I had a um, aversion to authority um, <laughs> and injustice. Yep. So I, I, I think I was quite outspoken. I, I wanted to take on leadership roles I, and I was looking for avenues to do that. Mm. Um, and that came from not a place of, and probably a, a place of ego when you're a young child mm. and you're just like, oh, I want to take on um, different roles and I, I want to lead. I want to feel like I have a purpose. But that was kind of just a, a an immature or juvenile way, way of saying, I want to have meaning. Like I mm. want to feel like I have something to contribute. So I think from a young age, I was looking for those avenues. And so when I joined YCS in year nine, um, it was kind of framed to me as an opportunity to contribute, to mm. do something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, well, maybe there's something here that I could really um, utilize and, and uh, take back. And it was through conversations and walking with those mentors, uh, those other young workers um, who came into the school, um, who were part of the church, mm. um, and how they spoke to me about social issues. They weren't talking to me about... Um, and not to say that this doesn't work as well, just reading the Bible and sitting down mm. and doing Bible reflections. That works for some people. Mm -hmm. But as a young person who was more maybe, I guess, feeling like they wanted to be immersed with people yeah. and connected with people, what activated me way more was knowing that there was something that I could do to bridge the gap in the contradictions of my faith and my lived reality. Yeah. So when a, an older person tells you, oh, you don't like that there's bullying at your school. Did you know you can do something about that? Mm. Or, oh, uh, you, you're feeling not so crash hot today or like you've mm -hmm. got body image issues. Mm -hmm. Did you know that there are other people who are experiencing similar things and they might want to talk about that? Mm. So they really opened up an avenue for me to rethink about, and I, I like that term mystery, of like, you know, what outside force, an internal force, um, can I tap into mm. to make a change in my lived reality? Mm -hmm. And when you start to see those changes actually start to happen, you just grow in that momentum. Like, yeah. and that's the building of a movement, right? Yep. The smallest action leads to a bigger action and a bigger action, a bigger action. Before you know it, you've got like a national campaign mm -hmm. around mm -hmm. what well, I think what we were fighting back then was like, you know, uh, awareness around fair trade mm. so it was a global kind of campaign um and understanding like our connection with you know workers overseas and how they were being mistreated and how we wanted mm. to you know bring our faith into those workplaces um so i think it really spoke to me but the see judge act method as well mm -hmm. what it really gets down to is recognizing that your faith extends beyond church Mm. And your faith extends beyond home and your uh, faith extends beyond even, um, I, I guess, uh, just you independently, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
And so we talk about these third places um, and then we were talking about like workplaces, like, oh, did you know you can live out your faith in your workplace? No, I had no clue. What, yeah. what does that look like? Oh, did you know you can live out your faith in your university? Oh, what? What does that look like? Mm. Um, and then you just keep peeling back the layers and you're like, oh, I can live out my faith in every single second of my day mm-hmm. if I'm conscious to it. Yeah. If I open myself to that mystery. Yep. Yeah, I've been reading a bit of uh, Henry Nouwen recently. Um, he's passed away now. He's a Dutch priest. And uh, some people say a spiritual gu- guru, or at least millions of people would say that. <laughs> and he talks about how do we enter into this um, prayer without ceasing. Um, and one of his movements that he encourages is uh, in order to reach out, you reach in first. And then it becomes this momentum to reach out again. And it's this cycle of, you know, the more you enter into that process of, of going in and chewing on those questions, but then acknowledging, like you said, Church is more than just um, uh, yourself, church. Um, it's actually the community around you as well and, and how you engage with that. That's when you can develop this sense of God with you at all times. One thing that I wanted to uh, clarify just for our listeners, if they haven't heard of the See, Judge, Act um, methodology before, what is that? What does that involve? Um, a bit of the background of that. Yeah, Elizabeth. absolutely. So See, Judge, Act is uh, a methodology um that we use and we say it's kind of like nine questions. So three questions for C, three questions for judge, three Mm. questions for act. Um, And it's a process, a really simple process we can sit down uh, with people who might, like eventually it becomes a uh, a natural kind of way Mm. of thought and you can obviously branch out of these nine questions, but it's a beginning um, process. So it's about recognizing what is happening who are the people involved, just being really clear on the data um, Mm. around a social issue, for instance, or a personal issue. So say something is going on at home, um, maybe your parents are fighting um, and it's affecting you in your school Mm. and uh, you come to school and people have noticed, started to notice, oh, you're acting a bit differently. In a review of life or um, what we would call like a a review group, at the school, someone might make an observation. Mm. Hey, I've noticed that you've been a bit more quiet than usual, or you haven't been your, um, yeah, I, I guess you haven't been expressing yourself in your usual way. And then that person might say, oh, okay, um, yeah, there are a few things going on. And they're like, oh, what's going on? It's, it's really about getting to the heart of like what's going on mm-hmm. um, and who is involving. And, uh, and then you can take it to, so both personal and social. Judge is about what does our faith say about this? What do mm. our values say? If you don't have a tie to a religion or you don't really know, this is your opportunity to do some further research. Like, okay, um, well, I might have a mentor or someone that I connect with on a deeper level. I mm. might go and ask them what they think and, and try and build my values from them. Um, or I might open the Bible and have a look. Like, what 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 does it say about this issue? Is there, mm-hmm. Are there any gospel passages that we can think of that kind of connect to this issue? Mm-hmm. You know, what was Jesus's relationship like with his mom? Yep. Or you know, you start to like ask these pondering questions. Um, and then when you get to the the idea is to set it up in a way that you're looking at what does the ideal look like mm-hmm. and what does the lived reality look like. And then the act is about bridging that gap. Yeah. Right. But it's also about being strategic in how you bridge that gap because Mm. we want to actually see change. We want to see meaningful development. Mm. So when it's a personal issue like the one I gave, the example, um, you know, the action might simply to be, oh, it would be good for you to talk to another adult about this. Mm. Or it might be, oh, have you thought about seeking out the school counselor and, and sharing that with them? 
or it might be, oh, you know, if you're not feeling uh, ready yet to have that conversation, maybe we can journal a bit. Mm. So a small action you can take. But let's talk about the bigger issue here as well. Do you think other young people in this school are dealing with a similar thing? Mm. Is this something that we could branch out and maybe do some research, further research and ask and survey? Um, so then that's where that builds the momentum. What's a long-term action that we can take to mm-hmm. solve this issue? Mm-hmm. Um, or if you can't solve it, make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then who can you involve? Which is the very last question it asks, but again, centers on people. Like, yep. who can I involve in my action? And who's going to keep me accountable? And I think accountability is such a big thing mm. um, and, and such an important thing that often, I, you know, gets missed or, you know, pushed under the rug a bit. Um, you know, I think when you fully have um, that connection, that relationship with Christ, I think you start to resonate more and more with being open to accountability mm. and being able to um, express yourself in a way um, not to hurt other people, uh, but to be truly yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I've been reading a lot of Brene Brown as well, yep, um, yep. Atlas of the Heart, and I was reading it last night as well. And I was thinking, you know what, I want to bring up some of these things because I think being truly vulnerable and recognizing our own limitations um, is something that we can all do more of. Mm. And uh, I think the great thing about the review of life process, the Siege Project method, is it creates a space of vulnerability mm-hmm. and connection. And it's not a space for judgment, um, even though obviously the, the second, second word, word is yeah. judge. Yeah. Um, but we kind of joke about that because, you know, it's not judgment of the person, it's judgment of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like we don't actually like that this is happening and we're going to make a firm stance, like we're going to take a firm stance on that. Mm-hmm. We don't see this as the ideal. And that's really important. You do need to make that judgment not of the person, but of the situation, Mm. of the issue you are reviewing. Um, And I think uh, Brene Brown touches on this a bit as well uh, when she says that, you know, you need to see um, the world not as it is, but as it isn't. And then also (laughs) um, she goes on to talk about how she felt like she had a superpower growing up um, because she thought she could see into the future 20 minutes ahead. Because she had this empathy. She had this ability to actually, um, I guess, read the room so Mm. well that she knew from, you know, a pointed comment or a little smirk that things could go downhill really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was mainly due to, like, I guess, her upbringing and the situations that, you know, faced her. And and you wouldn't want children facing those situations ideally. Mm. But she said it was a superpower for her. So she came from maybe some trauma there and she was able to elevate that, what could have been quite a a detrimental Mm. um, thing in her life. She transformed that into a superpower in her mind as a child. And then um, I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, so wow, like you can kind of create um, the extraordinary, again, not just in the ordinary, but even in the hardest of times. Mm. Like you can elevate something from the depths of the valley into like the the highest of the mountains kind of thing. And we all have this capacity and this ability to grow if we've got that relationship. And I, I see it as a relationship with Christ. I mean, one of the things that uh, that stood out for me as you were sharing a bit of that framework um, is the acknowledgement of the lived reality uh, and the ideal, but that important step that it needs to be met or touched. I think 
um, again, going back to that the theme of an incarnation of spirituality, if it doesn't connect or touch in, into reality, I think it's missing something of the Christian tradition. With that methodology, no doubt there were examples of um, times where it worked well and other times where I suppose it didn't work out as you imagined it. And so for those who are listening who are interested in community action, um, regardless of uh, their faith or religious background, do you have a story in mind that, that sort of demonstrates or gives an example of how that methodology was successful um, in your perception and how it didn't quite go to plan? And just so that people can see, okay, that's what your experience was of that, Elizabeth. And, and then therefore, when they look at their uh, ways in which they're trying to be involved in the community, they can take some of your learnings and say, okay, how am I reading into or assessing the reality that I'm trying to work uh, with and also the ideals that I'm trying to work toward? Oh yeah, failure is a big one and it <laughs> happens over and over and over again. And again, this process, this methodology is like an ideal in a way mm. and the lived reality is it doesn't always mm. like quite work out because people are flawed and people, um, it, it's creating a space, but people need to come to the space kind mm. of thing. So um, in my experience, uh, the Siege Project method uh, works well when the people in the room um maybe have this this call to a deeper meaning um, that they've already kind of made an intentional commitment within themselves to mm. be there. But what sometimes happens is there are other drivers for them attending. Um, they often, like I think, you know, Pope Francis has said that the, the church is a hospital. Mm. Um, it's a place where people go to get a, a sense of belonging, um, but also to fix wounds. Um, you know, it might be the only place that accepts them. Um, so as they gravitate towards that, sometimes you can be dealt with some people in the room that may not have made a commitment to be vulnerable in that safe space mm. in the way that they want to build a relationship with Christ, but instead, oh, I really like going here because, you know, I, I, I like the, the power I feel from mm. being a leader here, or mm. I, I like... Um, uh, the fact that there might be a job opportunity down mm -hmm. the line mm -hmm. here or I like, you know, just networking with people and socializing. So I'm really into that part mm -hmm. of it. And you've got to meet people where they're at as well. Um, but there are going to be people who are going to come into these spaces and they might not be the ideal, um, you know, leader. Mm -hmm. um, and what they do is they, they bring with them... Um, uh, and, and, and no one, like you don't have to be the ideal leader to be in this space, but I think there is just a, a, an issue sometimes within the church that I find um, that when you've got these groups, um, it can attract all sorts. Mm -hmm. um, and then you don't have a way to say that they can't, you know, take up that space anymore, right? Yep. I'm trying to be, yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm trying to not be uh, too pointed here, but yep. I think, you know, it is still really, really important that, again, coming back to that accountability, about being vulnerable, about being true to ourselves, um, I think I really struggle sometimes with saying no to people. Mm. I really struggle with people pleasing. I really struggle with um, making people feel comfortable. Mm. And often growth doesn't happen in comfort. Mm. And so when you need to agitate uh, to develop someone, to make them, I guess the word I'm looking for is grow an awareness of themselves mm. <laughs> and how they contribute to a situation mm -hmm. or how they may impact other people. 
And when you're developing leaders, you need to have those pointed conversations. You need to have those agitating conversations Mm. because if you let it just go, those are the only people you're going to attract and all the people that are actually, um, I guess, called to wanting to take action, who want to have a a space where they can grow and like lead and and, and, um, develop change, you're going to lose those people Mm. because that environment is now toxic. Uh, That environment is now just a space where oh, we open the door to everyone and anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes, we do that. Um, but if you just let injustices happen, even in the space that is supposed to be the space where we're calling for injustice to be kind of, you know, contradicted, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a confusing, like, parallel. Like, that's a it's a hard thing to navigate. Um, so we're creating young groups of people who are fighting injustice, but what happens when the injustice is in the group? Great question and not sounding pointed at all. My friend put it this way, where where you welcome anyone, it's gonna be messy, uh, especially when you don't have boundaries around it. And connecting this to one of the questions that we finish with, which is, you know, what do you expect a a newcomer to experience in a parish community? I wonder if you have a metaphor like Pope Francis, similar to a field hospital, but your own version, how would you address that um, dynamic of having newcomers in a space but also aspiring to some of those leadership ideals you're talking about of accountability and vision casting and, and making sure that the um, injustice that uh, the church is called to speak um, up against. How do you foster all of that if through this metaphor that, um, that you can think of? Yeah, um, good question. I think when it comes to being a newcomer in a church, um, what I would hope that they would get out of attending any church that they're a part of is... Um, first of all, to be hit by the beauty of the church mm. as you walk in. Um, I think it would be really good for a newcomer to kind of do it alone at first. Mm. Um, feel what, feel a little bit of discomfort, which is natural in a new church, right? Like mm. you walk in, you don't know anyone, but kind of settle into that discomfort. Um, because, you know, living out your faith is not supposed to be comfortable. Mm. Um, and if you can sit in that, um, experience um, and really open yourself up to you know uh, the homily to the Eucharist to what's happening around you uh, to the beauty the architecture and and observe the people within the church as well because the church is people mm. um, then I think as a newcomer you're on the right path to understanding uh, a little bit more about what you can bring to that church community mm-hmm. so I would want a newcomer not to be thinking about what they can give me but what i can give that church mm-hmm. so i would hope that yeah the newcomer is coming fully as themselves mm. that they get to that experience of like okay i i feel a little uncomfortable but i know i have something to give here mm. um i would really really hope um that the church would create an open space for those kind of people to feel like i have something that i can give here yep I like the idea, again, coming back to food as our fuel, Mm. um, just to tie it all back together. What are we fueling? And to ask that question to our audience, like, what are you fueling today? Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. It's it's this connection back to the beginning again, when you said alchemy and all things is also like saying people are worth more than gold. For someone to know that in and of themselves as they come into the community setting, is, is what you're hoping for there. That's that's great, Liz. Let's leave it at that question. And thank you so much, Liz, for creating this episode of the Soul Food Podcast. Thank you for having me. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by the Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Soul Food.